Hi, welcome everybody to Forever Quest. Uh, I'll just get right to the point. I got Tony Garcia with me today. How you doing, Tony? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, and uh, we were just talking about how Sean is going to be here in a minute, but he's in California traffic, which you have a little bit of experience with. Oh, yeah. I'm down by San Diego area, and I know if he's any, anywhere north of us, is just going to be a mess. There's yeah. like four cars for every person in california now you've been in california for a long time was traffic always bad or is it has has it gotten worse like when you were working on everquest was it pretty bad back then well the best thing about being a game dev is your start time usually is at around 10 a.m yeah and you avoid a lot of the rush hour traffic yeah but which starts around 6 37 but it's just gradually started getting worse. And even when I was still in it, it was bad because I had to go. I'm like, I'm like about 25 miles north of San Diego. And I had to travel to San Diego to get to SOE or to get when, when I was with uh, uh, Tryon, they were still located down there. So it was always a battle to get down there. So it still took me some time. Um, even if you avoid rush hour. And then of course, when you're, once you're there as a game dev, you're there till like 11 PM and then it's an easy drive back because nobody's on the road. <laughs> Did you guys just kind of make those hours yourselves as employees or were the people hiring you actually like, look, you're yeah. game devs. This is how it works. Those were the hours when I first started. So, um, it seemed like it was just normal, like it was regular. And then as I met other people in other companies, they told me the same thing. Their start time was 10. Unless you were like, you know, when you're the developer, you're that. But if you're like, you know, support or anything, um, customer service or, you know, anything to do with the office or anything, they have to be their regular time. But I think when you're a dev, they know you're, they need you there for a long time once you're there. <laughs> So, yeah, you're usually start at 10, although it's worse at crunch, crunch time. You may not even get home. Um, a loving robot, Sean, I know you uh, worked with him and you were uh, talked to him recently on his stream. And uh, he talked oh, about yeah. how when he was in customer service working, how like when the devs would come through the room, it was like it was like the big dogs walking through the room. So were you one of those people? Like, uh, that, like he was like kind of bowing down to at that time. Like when you would walk through the room. I don't know if knew, knew maybe a lot. Cause I used to stick to myself, even when I was a big wheel or whatever, the, there are people knew me. I still stuck to myself most of the time, but I've always been that way. I mean, a lot of times people will say I, I looked pissed off or they were <laughs> afraid to come up and talk to me because I also work out. So it's like, I'm kind of. I don't look like what their version of a nerd is, which as right. we know now, as we get older, everybody really has a nerd inside of them. So, but people didn't come up to me and then I was not, I, I just kept to myself a lot. I didn't dislike people. I just seemed to always running things through my head and just mostly talking to myself. Not in a crazy way though. You were, you worked out but, even uh, way back then. I was singing eighties tunes in my head. Yeah. <laughs> 
I've uh, now I'm swear I'm not just doing it to pander. I freaking love Def Leppard Hysteria. It's one of my favorite albums ever. It's produced oh, so well. It it's got funny. like seven amazing songs on it. I was listening to it on my way back from Iowa with Christy yesterday. Yeah. But yeah, you're you're super into a lot of uh, the 80s metal, right? What are your tops? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's so hard now because I'll tell you, from I'll tell you what I had early on, what I collected most and completed my collection was Def Leppard, um, White Snake, uh, um, um, Iron Maiden, of course. Yeah, I always. Yeah. Um, Is ACDC in there? Are they in the mix? As far as yeah, the they best? are. Okay, all right. They are, but I I started collecting when with the Brian Jones stuff, you know, like back in black. Okay. And then I had to go back before that and then, and see some of the older stuff. And I still like Brian Jones stuff a lot better. You know, they just seem to find their groove when they, their sound and their latest album is awesome. I love it. Um, but you know, an obscure band most people don't like are it's very, it's very glammy. Oh, you know, White Lion's in there too. I love yeah. White Lion. Just incredible musicians there. Um, and then I don't classify Van Halen amongst anybody because the, to me, there's everything else. Rock-wise, they're my ultimate. And David Lee Roth but or Sammy Lee Hagar or both? I've seen all of them. So I always like to say to myself that I... Well, I grew up with, I, mean, I grew up a lot more with Hagar. Yeah, me but too. I, but I, I think after seeing them both um, and even seeing interviews and going to see the shows, um, David Lee Roth, he's a great showman and he's very much like he's, he's having a party on stage right. and he wants you to watch. And Hagar is like, He's having a party and he wants to invite you to that party. Okay. So I've always loved uh, Hagar. And I don't even dislike the Gary Sharon stuff. For me, I, I've, every Van Halen album is good to me. Do you have any, except for the last one. <laughs> any of those guys that you'd like love to meet? Or, you know what I mean? Like, or are you one of those guys who doesn't like to meet their heroes? Sometimes it is better not to meet your yeah. heroes. <laughs> but, you know, I see all their interviews and stuff and some guys seem better than others. I would have loved to have somebody who passed away was, uh, and not Eddie Van Halen. Cause That's what he's I a hero I wouldn't want to meet okay. because <laughs> no, what was it? like, uh, Ronnie James Dio. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. He was, he just seemed like a good guy. And Lead then, singer of Dio, right? Drive that right. Dio. And yeah. he did some black, great black Sabbath stuff. Okay. Um, he's, but he's awesome. Um, but yeah, you know how that is. Like you, there are some stars you see like, Oh, I, I love them, but I know if I met him in person, right. <laughs> it could go either way. And, right. uh, and yeah, uh, Eddie Van Halen would be one, but Hagar, well, on the other hand, I'd be like, Oh heck, I, I know if I met him, we'd probably be doing shots of tequila. Well, you know, I, I feel a little starstruck talking to you just because I'm sure well, you've ridiculous. heard this. Well, I, <laughs> I figured you're going to say that, but you really affected 
me and Sean's life and he'll be on here shortly, but you know, the, the creative output that you put together in the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands, it affected us. You know, it had a big effect on us. Like so many people who got into EverQuest, we got in hard and it was a major part of our life. And we have, you know, we have some bad memories about like getting out of shape and like hanging over the computer too much and smoking too many cigarettes, but we have some amazing memories too. They're some of our best memories. And I don't know. It was your kind of create creative output that put that together, and I think that's amazing. And I, I kind of yeah. I want to thank you for that because you kind of helped shape my life, whether you want that on your shoulders or not. You know. Oh, you're you're welcome. Um, the going back to something you said earlier when you were talking about customer service, and Sean said that they would they would see the devs walk through. Yeah. And so the thing that I loved about SOE back then was they they took a lot of people from customer service and that was a way to get in to become a dev. Yeah. So it was like in a, in reality, they may, you may see somebody and think, Oh, they're way above me. Um, sure. But really we're on equal grounds. And if you, if you really love the job there, they would take note and move you into where we could use you, especially when they started having way too many projects <laughs> going on. That was probably a mistake, but at one time they just had too much going on. It was right. like, you didn't want to be on some projects because, you know, this thing's probably going away. Oh, okay. All right. I see. You kind of had to like, you kind of positioned yourself to be on the project that you knew was yeah. the place to be. But want- there are like just a ton of great guys that were in uh, customer service, like Sean, who ended up becoming really huge contributors as a dev. And I want to get to... Uh, all that pretty soon. I want to start actually by taking a step back into your childhood. And, uh, you know, like I saw a picture you drew when you were a kid, you look like you were extremely talented. Uh, I saw like an architectural picture you had drawn of a city that you posted on Instagram once. Oh, yeah. Um, What were you into as a kid? Were you into D&D? Were you into weightlifting? What what was your thing when you were like, you know, middle school or whatever? Um, While I was a fat little kid, mostly. Yeah. Totally a nerd. Um, mostly I was mostly like, I remember as a kid being made fun of too, because I went to a private school. So, um, I was just this fat kid in a private school. I looked even funnier in your freaking uniforms we had to wear back then. And <laughs> was it Los and, uh, Angeles or San Diego? Where was the school? No, it's in San Diego. Okay. All right. Uh, St. Mary's. It was a Catholic school. So we actually, and when I first started going there, we actually had real nuns. So, and even in Catholic schools now, you don't even see real nuns, but we had real nuns. Then um, it was in first grade. I went there in first grade and that's where I met Bill Trost. You know, Bill Trost, right? Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, Um, I heard Bill Trost, Brad and yourself kind of were three of the, yeah. Well, go ahead. Especially. Okay. Okay. But uh, um, I've known him since first grade, and he was kind of nerdy. He didn't have the fatness going, so okay. he was okay <laughs> with that. And uh, he, uh, once we found out, you know, all the nerds, they eventually find out, oh, man, we all like the same kind of stuff. Right. And we liked the same kind of shows on TV. Um, like, do you, you remember know, what? Were you into the... Buck Rogers okay. in the 25th century, but the first Battlestar Galactica, you know, um, even like Star Trek and stuff like that early on. Uh, all the stuff nobody watched except for nerdy kids um, or even the Godzilla on 
Saturday afternoons. But eventually that's when we found it kind of separately, not even together, but we both found started hearing about um, Dungeons and Dragons because I remember reading about it in an article in a magazine when I was a kid. I don't even know I was reading a magazine, <laughs> but it looked interesting because it showed the little figures and you, that's my first drawing. Oh, that's right, the that pewters, visual. right? Yeah, they were pewter. And I was like, wow, what is this? And then I read and it was like this game that can take you places. You know, it doesn't tell you what the math you're going to use in the game or anything. (laughs) You're going to go visit this world in your mind and your imagination. And I was like, oh, man. But I didn't have a lot of friends there. So I was like, oh, man, who in the where am I ever going to run into this game? Right. But I went to my hobby shop close by my house and. I used to go there and buy military models all the time because yeah. I was heavy into military models. And they had the very first Dungeons and Dragons set. The little, yeah. it was a little white box and it was, it only had three little pamphlets in it that were the rules. And, and uh, I was kind of bummed when I first got it and opened it and it didn't have any figures in it. Like you expect figures sure, in sure. it, but they sold figures there. So I ended up, bumming uh, getting my dad to give me money to buy start buying figures and doing jobs so it, i would be buying computer figures all the time and then eventually i found out bill trost did it too and he, so we he went to, to the same school together. as you or you guys like live near each other we went to we went to the same school okay we didn't live near each other i actually lived on the bad side of town and that's it's Real quick, that's funny because my dad has money because he yeah. owns like some great prop, super expensive property, commercial property in, in uh, Carlsbad, the Ritzy. And he's, and he's also a barber, town. right? Yeah, his family was a barber forever. That's how they ended up with this expensive property because it was like back then it was just a nothing back then. But now it's like it's like it's ground zero for everything happening over here. Right. But. Anyways, he at the time he had a choice of buying property, and he's like, oh, "I'm gonna build a house. I can build a. I can buy this awesome house in South Oceanside, or on this other part of Oceanside, I can build my own house uh, with the help of friends." And he seemed more excited to do that, so that's what he did. Okay. Problem was that ended up becoming the bad side of town, and the <laughs> South Oceanside part was awesome. So. And Bill lived in the other ritzy parts of Oceanside. For me to get to his house, I remember I'd ride a bike. And he lived, I kid you not, at the top of the steepest hill in Oceanside. And I, I had to huff and puff up there, going zigzagging up there to get to the top of his house. It's but, funny uh, that the rich kid literally lives at the top of the hill. It's so, so stereotypical, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, that was it was well worth it because we used to have a blast back then we would definitely be getting into D and uh picking up the modules mostly we picked up the modules that came out um and would it just be the started, two of you usually yeah but eventually we talked other people to try it out and even in high school we in high school we started getting bigger groups and yeah. even girls really and, yeah and we would have we would have a good size of uh, maybe about five to six players besides the dm and who was so normally the dm have, or would you rotate usually it would be 
Bill because okay. he was really good at it. And but you know that is who wants to be the DM anyways. <laughs> I think it can be fun but if you're with the right group of people. If you're with a group of people who kind of push themselves along, I don't like being a DM that has to kind of shoo my team along. You know what I mean? Right. He no. And sometimes he would because sometimes there'd be too much alcohol. But <laughs> oh, Sean's joining he, us here. Oh, he's, he, he just got done with his uh. Uh, commute so he's going to have that look on his face that that california i just commuted in my car look on his face you yes. see it he yelled at he yelled at everybody on the road yeah yeah sean did you yell at some people on the drive here today oh lordy let me <laughs> tell you were you in the left lane going 50 miles per hour and people yelling at you uh almost like just creeping along I drive a Prius too, so it's like double bad. Everybody oh my god, they hate you immediately. <laughs> yeah, and it's that color that everybody hates too. So I'm just do- I'm doomed from the get go. Sean, we were just talking about uh, when Tony got back into D and D, which sounded like it was maybe a year or two before I did. Uh, and because when he bought the box, he didn't get the red box or the blue box. He got something I've never even heard of—the white box with three white modules. In it, which uh, I think I'm guessing yeah, was the first version. The tan modules, the, they're pamphlets. They're not even books. It was the first edition, or I don't even want to. I don't even know if it's classified as first edition or whatever it is. It's the first thing they came out with. Um, I swear to God, I wish I would have held on to those things. <laughs> <laughs> when you think, oh, yeah. who thinks about those things? Because um, once they started getting the books out, it was like, oh my God, the fiend folio and monster manuals you're like yeah. wow this is great this yeah. is taken off but they had some amazing modules you played like i don't know if you guys ever heard of uh the expedition to the barrier peaks have you heard of that one Mm-mm. no oh if anybody would have check it would have been out. sean all right look it out look at it online and check it out it was so different than anything else i love i don't want to tell you what it is just go and look at it but it was one of those ones that was like totally different and um it's one of uh gary gygax did did that one and it just had it was uh i loved it and it had a lot of the picture it was one of those modules that had came with a lot of pictures so it was like you see this yeah Yeah. those and the maps were the best there was a reason for it too um but we had a lot of fun with that one. But eventually we started writing a few of them. Bill did more writing because uh, or creating his own adventures because he was mostly the DM. Now, how old is Bill when he's creating these? Because I used to play D&D as a kid, but I don't think we really knew what we were doing. And to actually create your own modules, that starts to get serious. Yeah, that wasn't until high school that we started doing that. Okay. And um, what would you usually play? What, did you have a certain role you would usually fall into during the adventures? I was always, well, if you're going to say, I always wanted to be the warrior type. There was one time I wanted to be a paladin. Problem was with the paladin, you got to follow everything you do. We were heavy on role playing. So, so you really had to be what you, what you were. So um, paladin was just too restrictive. Right. Like having things in your party, you just couldn't do it or, um, so I usually play anything I can play chaotic good. So eventually I settled into the Cavalier and 
that's probably that was Sir Lucan, who's EverQuest Two, who's Lucan. That's who. That's my character that I had in, for the most part, in D and D. It so wasn't the only one, but it was one of them, the main one. That's Just like uh, Mayong is is Bill's main. Okay. That's his main character that he played all the time. So but what is the story with Lucan? Because he's the king of the he's the head of the Freeport Guards, right? Yeah. Can you tell me a little more about uh, Lucan's story? <sighs> he's a fallen. He's a fallen paladin. Yeah. Um, uh, he used to be one of the oh from the twin deities. He used to follow the Mar twins. Okay. And then he ended up falling from grace. I can't even remember what the hell I wrote. <laughs> but honestly, amazing. I can't from why he did. Because you have no seriously no idea. There was I kept everything. There wasn't a physical tome. There was it was all digital and it all stayed there when I left. Some things I remember, some things I don't, Right. but everything was in depth, man. I wrote so much backstory on, especially him because there were things I wanted to do later. Like we, you know, like we started to do in um, EverQuest too. Uh, but I mean, for the most part, yeah, he was the fallen deity, you know, it was everybody always wonders about his past and stuff like that. Like um, if he had a connection with the bales or, and there wasn't really, but there was, you know, I read a, a movie script once because they, or there was a time when Sony pictures would play with movie scripts yeah. about every quest. And yeah. one of them was Luke and being, um, he was a street rat, but he was uh, he was actually part of the Bale family, or he was from Kinos. But it, he would end up having like ah, he had a relationship. It was kind of like a romance with somebody in um, Freeport. I can't remember who it was, but it was uh, it was a weird. Uh, you would see things like that go through. Uh, like movie pitches and stuff like that. For <laughs> when like I that came was up with heavy, that. That was heavy when EverQuest was like, there was a lot going on. Yeah. And there was like uh, too many EverQuest projects going on also. Sure. <laughs> but they just wanted to like do everything with that franchise. All right. But, so, uh, so I want to get, uh, I want to back it up a sec. So you're in high school, you're playing D and D how does this transition into being a person who's actually creating EverQuest? Are you learning computer programming? How, how did the hiring situation come up? How did that turn into that? Oh, well, we were both started getting into computers. He before I, cause he had the Commodore. Mm -hmm. Commodore the 64? Before, yeah. Before yeah. the Apple two. So would you play like Bart's Tale or something or what would he play? Yeah. Nice. Anything we can get our hands on, you know, back then, because We'd go down to like, um, I can't remember the stores that we used to hit. Other than when we got the Apple IIc, we'd always hit like Wabash Apple or something like that. But we used to go pick up anything we can get our hands on. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, definitely that. Hell, even Might- Oregon Trail was exciting yep. back yep. then. <laughs> remember Might and Magic was decent. Oh yeah. How but did, now, how did you know stuff that would bore you nowadays if you had to play it? But how did writing how, how did writing become such a, a strong thing for you? I mean, obviously your imagination must be amazing, but like were you into writing at a young age too? Was like this in high school, were you writing stuff and were you writing things down from your imagination, or did it just kind of come out of what you did from this? Yeah, I used to write when I was young, like in middle school. Because we're all into the same, like me and Bill are in our nerdy friends. We're all into the same stuff, like even some of the early anime, like uh, Star Blazers, or if you know what that is, no. uh, um, or uh, you know any anything like that. But we would see things and then it's like you go home and then even when we saw Star Wars, you go home and then it's like, oh, that adventure's over. It's like, so you would just start either drawing or writing stuff about it because you was so it made such a big impact on your mind, at least for me that I wanted to write some things. You know, the first time I saw Star Wars, I went home and eventually was so much on my mind. I love the character of Han Solo. So it was like, I wrote this little fan. It was my fan fiction story that I wrote and it hooked him and Princess Leia up. Like they became a romance in my fan fiction. Nice. And I'm like, (laughs) so it was funny to actually see that that actually became. So it was a good thing I didn't think about Luke and hooking up. (laughs) That wouldn't have happened. But you know, that's how a lot of it. We, I think we all did that because we used to talk about it when we'd get to school and talk about a lot of, you know, all the nerdy guys over in the corner while all the jocks were playing football and you're talking about things you see on TV and all oh, movies and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, you know. But that's oh, well, eventually got me into writing and then it was like, uh, if I can take writing classes, I would. and uh, Anything just to... Just to get, I wanted for myself to bring more out and see more of the things that I loved. They didn't just end for me, so. Yeah, so like part of, I think, why so many people are infatuated with this is the depth, the the width and depth of, of what you did and what you thought of. And one of the things I find most fascinating and, you know, one of the things that compels me about what good art and, and things like that is when there is this depth and when you can tell that there's been so much thought given to each one of these things and to, to I guess just to know that you were doing that at a young age and being influenced like that in a young age was Tolkien and, and some of those people influences too oh absolutely I remember uh, reading Lord of the Rings in high school was the first time I read it and then uh I still have that book from high school too. Nice. <laughs> um, but, uh, and then, you know, also I was more visual. I, I love books now, but when I was younger, I hated reading through something like that because I'd take so long. Right. And I, and I would, and for me, I was way into monster movies at the same time too. So I'd spend my night trying to stay up to watch this whatever was coming on because you know there's no dvr there's nothing you can't stream it or any back then you either see it then or it's gone yeah so there was a a 
I would have to balance time, you know, read a little and then also uh, uh, try and do other stuff. But um, so then uh, so you guys are in high school, Bill's getting into computers. He's got the Commodore 64. Yeah. And then where does it go from there? Well, when we got the apples, it was better because we both got at we both took a little obviously the early computer classes that we had in high school. OK. Um, he's got into art really big time, way more than I was um, at the time. So that's where he ended up working, finding a job to work with Brad on War Wizard. And what? Uh, War Wizard? War Wizard. So we, you, one thing you have to understand early. is Sean and I are not the experts like some people are. We love the game, but you're you're gonna <laughs> where there's gonna you're gonna be something say some things we don't know what it is. So yeah, sorry about that. But what, what's War Wizard? War Wizard is a it's a computer game that Brad McQuaid and like I think Steve Clover were working on. Um, they made two of them: War Wizard, War Wizard Two. Um, but I think Aradun comes from war wizard but they made this they were making these small little games uh you know from the third perspective of like a ultima or something like that but with more detail so they needed people to create a little you know little 2d pictures of the characters and stuff and bill went to talk to them and he got in with them and he was working on them because I used to go over to Bill's house and he would show me, Oh, look at this water elemental and stuff that I'm giving and making the animations for him. And, uh, after high school, you guys still in high school at this point? No, this was after. High okay. School. All right. All right. And, uh, and that's when he got in tight with Brad. Okay. And then also magic brought them together closer because then Magic the Gathering? For, yeah, because Brad McQuaid was heavy on magic. So you could really get, get in tight with him if you played magic. Um Sean and I love magic. All right. Oh, they used to play they used to play all the time. I wasn't into it early. I never even I think I played like maybe three times actually in my life. And after I won my first game, I quit forever. <laughs> <laughs> but nice. he uh he got in tight with them but so eventually we went back to where we're still working our regular jobs and going to college and he i guess eventually if you know the story of everquest brad eventually at one during 989 times they're they're making everquest and they want to expand the team. So I think Bill actually went in customer service first. And then when he wanted to a job on the actual or testing, and when he wanted to uh, actually apply for the job, he needed to make a little disc that showed he, cause he went in, he was going in as an artist. Yeah which was not nothing no one was com even prepared to for the world that they were making um but he eventually got in and then they started building the world and but as they were building the world they needed more help for people here and there they'd hire more people mostly students and then when they needed 
they eventually got to a point where they're like, oh man, we need to make like quests and thing and stuff, rewards or whatever. Just you need to start filling the world out with content. Right. Or populating it too. So it's like, and then Bill asked me to go help them. And I actually started helping them before I was even hired there. Right. To get used to the game. Okay. And then eventually I, I talked to Brad McQuaid and Brad just said, okay, you're hired. <laughs> but I mean, when you saw the world at first, it was like, it was awesome because it was like for somebody who, for me, when I used to just imagine those things uh, in, in like Dungeons and Dragons, um, to actually see a world where you're moving around in 3D just it was it was amazing even though we look at it now and it like oh terrible graphics whatever no it was just amazing it was yeah. vast too and when i first got in and and played it it only stretched out to at um to like south karana or whatever, okay. something like that and just going from kinos out to there it was like wow you thought you were far out like oh man i'm in the middle of nowhere right um but it was uh there was so much that everybody we were all learning how vast it really was and and it, it became such a battle to try and fill that whole world with our content everything so i think it, it's just overwhelming at first but we everybody started were, they were working long hours and it was awesome though, but I mean, that's how I got on to the work with the team and early on. So is, is Bill or, uh, is Brad the boss at this point? Like, is there somebody who brought on Brad? He's more like Bill? a, he's more like the lead game designer. Okay. I gotcha. And so, so we're talking about the, the design team specifically right now. And so, yeah then when you started building the quest what was your mindset about how you even start something like this because i mean you're kind of breaking new ground right people haven't really been asked yeah. to do the, a game like this before the lore has it already had, the lore needed to be expanded but it already had a foundation because people like bill and uh even clover and uh kevin mcpherson they all they all got together and they wrote a, a um the design document, the bare bones one that you see most of the time online, that just gives one or two sentences about zones or talks uh, one or two sentences about each god and stuff like that. That was available, and then it it was uh, trying to add more depth to that. The hardest thing was like you like you can imagine trying to figure out because we're not used to any of this. So it's, it's like, you got to make quests, but you're not really sure about the play because there's not a test, a huge testing department. You're not sure how things are going to play out. Yeah. And we're not even at the point that we're used to like quest hubs, right? Like you see in most games now. So things were just, even when I first got in, I was just trying to put things where I, I was thinking D and D mindset where I'm like, okay, you can run into this and find it, but I'm not, I don't really want to make a quest hub because um, it would, 
it just doesn't seem like an adventure game. It's so you just, wanted it to be hard in a way. You wanted it to be rewarding, sounds like. I think, I think everything, discovering things is part of a reward. So I have always liked that part. But then it, I can see as we, as we start progressing, you can see that there needs to be some form of hub where people, especially when you're dealing with people where, where, where we kind of enforce this whole, you got to have the full party of you know, the different classes to come together yeah. in their dependency. So we need to bring them together. So then at, it's all as we're learning and going along, it's like, okay, let's try and switch this up. Let's try and give them little hubs, you know, but there's still, we're moving so fast at that point that it's like um, some things are going to go in the way we don't want them. And then as we learn more, since it's a living game, we, with the next expansions or DLCs, we start getting uh, a little bit better at it. Could you tell it was and special kinda, when you were making it? Like how quick oh, was yeah, it are before you? Kidding you... Me? Yeah. <laughs> like I said, just looking at it, like there was nothing. I mean, I saw, I loved playing Ultima on, you know, on the computer. It was great. I used to go crazy for Ultima, especially when you could board other ships and it was like, all right, let's go get them. But this was totally different. I was like, wow, I'm actually in this world. And, uh, if I had to run up to high keep, it's like, oh, dude, right. and if I'm by myself, it's like, you better watch every step. You better, <laughs> you have a respect for the world there. And then when you finally make it, you're like, oh my God, this is great. And that speaks to how hard it is. And I think when you compare like original OG EverQuest with almost any game now, it feels very difficult. We joke about this, like tr us trying to get our level 54 on P99, where it's all the old school um leveling it's a difficult game was that intentional on your guys's part or did that just feel like the way you were supposed to make it or were you like no we're gonna make this game hard oh the when we used to talk i mean we did want there has to be some amount of like barrier to respect the world yeah and to make things we all i guess we understood that there is some reward not the easy things aren't the most rewarding things so but i think the hardest thing was finding the easy the things we wanted to be easy not really looking for what we want to be hard it's just like what do we want to be easy mm -hmm. and i think a lot of games now just wanted to throw make everything easy but it's kind of like a when you're the first one of the first delegate i'm not going to say the first <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot that you have to learn and we were learning along the ways. So there were other people besides me that were really working hardcore on, on the leveling, you know, like Roger Uzen or even like uh, Jeff Zack and the Archmage of Norath uh, working with spells and stuff. I mean, they had to like, people who had to tune combat and things like that. I mean, they're, they really dealt with that more than I did. I just dealt with whatever, whatever, how am I going to tell stories or how am I even going to get quests? And, and at the point, at that time, there wasn't really any place that you could really script that you could with like an EverQuest 2. Um, so it was tough just using what tools you had to try and do what you want to do. Like that old, like the, 
the dialogue system working with keywords and yeah within <laughs> the brackets yeah yeah well there were no brackets originally though no oh that's right you just had to figure out which words were important oh man yeah which actually reminds me a lot of a game of like uh bard's tale or something like that where some things were just you just had to do it exactly right right like in the room with the spinners and the darkness and stuff like that yeah. like it's I mean, mostly if you find a noun if you can figure out the noun because it's everything there that it cues off of is okay it's two words there's like two words it's looking for you to to say so it's usually a noun and uh, a verb maybe a third word to bring it all together but um it was just trying to work with the systems that we had and not uh there's no dialogue tray or anything like that was it a long but it was tough was a long commute to work or like a really stressful job like i'm talking pre-launch when you guys are just cranking away oh it was for us it was i mean for bill and i i mean we live in oceanside we and we have to commute down there but i we spent so much time down there that sometimes you wouldn't make it back till the next day. See, people could fall asleep at work. Um, that's why work and sometimes at that time it could get really reek. I remember the the one when I first went there, the one office that Bill shared with another great guy, Kevin Burns. He's really one of the early artists. He's awesome. He uh they shared an office and it wasn't even an office really. It's a, it was like a small little utility closet, <laughs> L shaped utility closet. <clears throat> and every time you went in there, it just reeked. <laughs> it's like, you can tell these guys are not showering. Or... Please wear socks with your shoes. Or... <laughs> it smells like Fritos in here. But they had, they had some cool video game. They had a, uh, um video game machines in there too with them so oh that's cool yeah All right. this question may seem weird but i think it really can put people in the place what would you guys do for food would you always like order in chinese food or was there always like a mcdonald's down the street you guys would go to what was the sitch would you bring it in and smell up the place oh yeah it would be both early on i mean you would just a lot of pizza because it's the easiest thing to do yeah <laughs> and then there are a lot of places around there to go to. So we used to, um, and then when you needed some downtime, there was Carl Strauss brewery was in the same center. So you just would walk down there. That's where the first like unofficial fan was. It wasn't <laughs> oh, really, there was only like, only like about 30 people, but Jim Lee was there. No way. Oh, yeah. Wow. And, uh, what was Jim that, Lee that was doing there? The because he had made the comic at that point or was scheduled to? No, he did he didn't make the comic at that point. He he was into EverQuest. He was just into it. That's amazing. Yeah. And then he started talking to Brad. I don't know how they met or, or probably at a Comic-Con. Because hmm. Brad was heavy into comics too, like everybody. And uh but they met and then he came to the first just the fanfare meeting. But some a few fans and then devs so it was pretty cool that's pretty sweet i know what when you the... think about how big jim lee is it's like wow wow what was the thing that you look forward to most uh going to work every single day like we all have that thing that we we actually like about our job so what was that thing for you 
just getting in and actually, I mean, just creating stuff. As long as you can get things in and actually see it come to life in game. I mean, that's, it could be anything really. At that point, it was even populations, even like doing Black Burrow or something like that, having it populated. It's like, it's just an incredible thing to actually see something you're, you're using these minimal tool sets to, that doesn't look like anything, but then when you go to run the game, you actually see stuff that you're messing with in there to see the things come to life is, uh, is just, it, that was amazing. So that's like, I still miss that. Cause that was still, even in EverQuest too, that's still the greatest thing to see things you can dream of. And if you can do it with the tools set and get it done, um, that was, it's always an amazing thing to see that. So then the game launches and is immediate success, correct? I don't remember if it was an immediate success, but it's hard to tell because when we're working, it's like, there are things that you're always looking over the horizon, what right. you're going to be doing or our other threats from other games. Cause I, uh, and it's like, your mind's not on like the success. Sure. And it is now, I think it is now because other projects since then are totally different because now you get things like marketing involved in, you know for sure if it's not a success. Okay. <laughs> They'll let you know. But back then it was like, thank God we got this thing out and people loved it. We knew people loved it, but you're still thinking you're a niche product for right. I mean, for us. That's I mean, that's the whole thing. Like my hat variant was created because it was like 989 doesn't want to have anything to do with this they do sports games what are they going to do with this game okay um so that's how we ended up to secure the launch of the game we create variants so to make sure we can get it out and uh but you're still thinking obviously if big companies don't want us we're some sort of niche product how i mean at this point, you're still thinking everybody's kind of nerdy to want to play this. It is right. kind of a D and D, or a or a, a mud. If you if you were into muds, it's a, a visual mud. Um, but uh, then it started getting you. The numbers started getting bigger. So then you're thinking, wow, look at how many people are in the world. Even like a hundred thousand, it's like wow, this is incredible, and it's ridiculous when you think about like World of Warcraft now. You're dealing sure. with millions or whatever, but it was amazing because you would go. You can tell there's a success when on a game like that when you go into the world, and there's just people populating your world and playing. It's just like it's an amazing thing because then you. For me, that was the biggest thing because, you know, people are enjoying it and it's like, oh, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and it, um, and you can't even, even with the request too, the way it's designed, it's like, how are we going to handle all these people? It's like they try and disperse people, but in EverQuest, it's like, just get them all together. And then they all got together and it, of course, it would slow down sometimes, but just to see all those people were just 
enjoying the, you can tell this is more successful than I thought it was going to be. And it wasn't only the people's how much they played, right? Did you expect that some yeah. people would play so much because you played it and you're like, Oh, this no. is addictive. No, because I wasn't, I guess I should have seen that because I mean, when something like that happens, I mean, that's how we used to play games when we were younger. I mean, if we play in D and D we're playing D and D all freaking night long. Right. But, uh, to think that people were playing the games nonstop leveling up. I think I wasn't used to, um, I wasn't used to seeing people who are, who are just like trying to level up really quick. Uh, so some people will just stay on like they do now and just, I'm going to, I'm going to get to 50 way before anybody else. It's like, I'm not used to that. So people playing, like 48 hours in a row it's like that that's insanity and that's when you started to hear things like ever crack and it was like wow really this game is a problem and seeing things on 2020 about how addictive the game can be and it's like to see stuff like that is like wow i guess this game's pretty big even when you see the negative things about it is they're playing it too long <laughs> <laughs> I did my job too well, dang it. <laughs> did you ever um, enjoy seeing your world populated as Vox or uh, any other fun giant beasts? Um, you mean the actual names and stuff like that? Yeah, did you guys ever? Yeah, I've, I've heard rumors and I've always wanted to know. Did you actually populate those that, um, creatures and... and Like, were you Vox? Them? Were you ever Nagi? Yeah. yeah. Oh, assume control of them or just or just throw them in like take control and play them against oh the no people. i've never done that okay i've never done that i wish i would have though because that would have been because <laughs> whenever you hear it it's also it's always something cool yeah. um my claim to fame is it in the game world wasn't actually assuming or taking control of vox my my claim to fame was when i first started working i always tell this story but in case you haven't heard it it's like i first started working in there and like i'm there i have to populate repopulate the area on in kinos hills and there's this hill on kinos hills that i can't remember it has a little hut and uh, i think a small graveyard or whatever and it overlooks pretty close by black burrows and yeah, just north of it i think yeah. yeah, and I I went up there and I'm like oh, I'm just trying to looking over what's populating around the area. And then this guy runs up, who I've never seen before. He's we're all testers. It's not we haven't released the game yet. So, and I just I just got hired. So a guy runs up, and he's like two flaming swords and he's shiny green armor. And then like I'm like, dude. You, you're like overdoing it. You're like, this is ridiculous. You're using a cheat code to give yourself all these cool items. <laughs> and then I later found out that it was there doing, and that was like Brad McQuaid, my big boss. <laughs> I didn't even know it was him. That was the first time I ran into Aradun. <laughs> like, I don't know who Aradun is. I just got here. So and what would so you just funny. be wearing cloth running around with your character? Oh, no, I'd throw a plate. But okay. he had, clearly, that was Aradun's unique set of armor. So he made like, specific you know, armor. <laughs> yeah, the green armor. That was his. Nobody else wore that stuff. That's amazing. 
So uh, EverQuest comes out, big success. Did you know from the very beginning that you had to start thinking about the idea of expansions or was the idea of creating an expansion to a video game not even something people thought about back then until it was time to do it? Well, once we can see that it was a relative, a relative success, we already were in the works thinking about Kunark because Kunark didn't even make it onto the to the launch because Kunark is would have if we had the time Kunark would make it on there. Oh, okay. But since Kunark's still sitting there and Valius, um, you know, we decided to do Kunark, and uh, so we went to work quick. After a launch, I can't remember how long, but it was pretty quick where we started talking about Kunark and uh, went to work on that. Still enjoying all the growth of EverQuest, but a live team slowly began to take on the, the role of, of caring for the world while we started to go over to Kunark. Um, did we talked about how some people played maybe too much, but were you also noticing something positive come out of relationships forming? Because that's one thing oh, yeah. I really appreciate EverQuest for. And I think one of the reasons it is so hard and you have to grind and you have to help other people on corpse runs, you meet each other and you talk to each other in this game. Yeah. And I mean, I could see that even as a dev, you, you uh, when you play when we're testing the game you can see that you're talking you're even talking to other employees that you don't even normally talk to a lot <laughs> but it really comes into play when you start seeing things if you go to like uh fan fairs that yeah. was like the big thing like the first one we had like in la i think it was out at the park you really see the that it brought a lot of people together i mean um and just talking to them, it was like, oh, man, this is so great that that people are meeting each other and becoming really strong friends. I mean, because they're living this ultimate, like they're living in this dream world most of the time where they're really, they're living some amazing adventures and their bond, you know, saving each other and protecting each other and adventuring together is um is held up in the real world too. So, I mean, there have been, there's, you run into people who started dating and got married and you really in the fanfares meet all those people. And that's only like the tip of the iceberg because, you know, now we know that a lot of people can meet online in, in MMOs, but if MMOs were still like anything big nowadays, like they were back then, other than money makers. Yeah, I noticed one thing right. that happened after after EverQuest is a lot of it seemed like a lot of the big games or a lot of the money was all going into shooters. And there was a really long period of time, and honestly, it's still not over. Where it seems like all the top games were like uh, Call of Duty, uh, Black Ops, uh, Metal Gear, and I don't know if you being on the inside of the industry a little bit is that just the way it goes? Does the money usually not flow to the Sword and Shield games? Instead, it flows to shooters. At that, well, yeah, at that time, I mean, the minute that the minute, I mean, there's only so many large companies that, and they own this company who owns this company, who owns this company. So they're, you're all feeding off this big budget on top. So the minute, like, all five companies under you see that, oh my God, shooters are, this one game's making so much money. 
we got to have a project like that. So then the money is allocated down into what's projected to make the most profit. And at the time, I think it definitely was shooters. I mean, how I remember we would, uh, a lot of different shooters, like some people would play, be playing Quake or something like that. And I, yeah. I never really got into Quake. And we would go crazy for Battlefield 1942 when that came out. That was great at work because we would be in like offices or in the cubicles or whatever. People shouting at each other, I'm over here. Come on. That was great. Those days were awesome. But, uh, and those games make friends too. I mean, I, it's just, I know, um, you know, Planet Side, the first Planet Side, uh, we, we used to play that and, and on our free time also, even when we're at home. And you find, you can find people who you make friends also in that because it's like, we'd fight for hours just to freaking cross a bridge as an army. And, and it would literally take forever just to cross a damn bridge. And people would, you would cross people in your, in your, like, if you're a new conglomerate and they're wearing your, the same armor as you, you're like, you may not know them, but it's like, I'll save you. I'll pick you up. I'll protect you or whatever. It's like, I don't even know you really, but you know, we're on the same side. You form strong bonds in games, but um, nothing like this. Uh, I think like the fantasy MMOs because it's just takes you to another world and it's not fast. It's just, um, and you have to respect the world a lot more than in shooters where it's just blowing things up and running and gunning. Um, you're meant to be in a fantasy MMOs for quite a while. And I think your bonds become a lot stronger there, but you, I still see that you do make, you can make bonds in other games, but yeah, the shooters were going for a while, but as you saw though, when they saw the money was going, it was viable to make an MMO, a fantasy MMO. Then they really started dumping money in there. And that's, there's projects you never even heard of that were, had money allocated to them for every company, even our company at SOE. Um, there's just, and they're all the same thing, sword and, you know, fantasy MMOs or fantasy projects because the people on top saw that something fantasy games were making money. So let's start, we can allocate some more money into the, these fantasy projects. Um, and you know, some people took advantage, but a lot of games just never even made it. Projects never made it out the door. Um, but there's some, I, even on SOE that were exciting that never made it out the door. But. Did you get uh, into any other MMOs? Would you play stuff, uh, on your off time or did you get burnt out from the whole process of making two versions of EverQuest? <sighs> At times I burnt out on EverQuest because when you're making it, you test it yourself so much. Um, we would still run through the world. That's where the Iron Toe Brigade came from. If you've ever heard of them, that's the Dwarven group. Um, we used to wear green scarab armor, even if it was even green scarab armor was not that good at higher levels. Right. Force people to wear green scarab armor because those are our colors. 
<laughs> and we're all dwarves and our all all our names end in umpy so umpy um, <laughs> yeah so we would all run around and and have fun i mean i had so many good times in the world at like solusec or even like oh freaking uh, i still to this day love i freaking love befallen because some of my greatest adventures early on were in the fallen where we would just screw up big time and we'd be separated yep. somebody would fall down the well and it's like oh man you screwed us yep. now what are you doing down there would you would you guys talk about taking off because things got too tough <laughs> never don't do that cleric would you guys talk about um like corpse runs losing xp yeah uh, and like were there people that were for it and against it? Because obviously when people like nowadays are deciding whether to play live or P99 or TLP, one thing they all talk about is if you go play the old school version, you got to do corpse runs. They're a big deal, you know? And, uh, but again, yeah. it's, you got to rely on other people and it forms bonds. Yeah. I'll tell you, initially I didn't like the corpse runs, but as time went on, um, I saw that they were important because when you start watching your own gameplay, <laughs> um, there's a, you still have some amazing adventures, really hairy adventures going after your corpse. Yes. And the I think the problem was for some some of us were you're not really progressing forward, but you're 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 getting you're definitely being rewarded with an experience and but i some of us didn't see it that way and then i like myself i didn't see it until after a while and it was like um like like the befallen thing i said somebody falls down the well they're dead and now it's like god damn it we gotta go get that corpse right. you're kidding me but they i guarantee you the adventure to get down there and do that is like it's amazing. It's fun. It's a, to try and do pull yeah. those things off. So it's something that I think like corpse runs are something that are needed. And because I think you do need to try and force some kind of, or give them an experience and their experience isn't like always dictated by their, uh, by their tangible reward. <laughs> their digital tangible reward <laughs> um yeah, but today, you know what i mean today my wife can still say uh what's in that tree and we get a kick out of it because when me and sean and her went into uh blackborough there's a big hollowed out tree and she said what's in that tree so we walked in and we all fell down to the bottom <laughs> like, oh, what yeah. are we gonna do now and we had to find a really nice necromancer to drag us out of there and it was you know we really appreciated the person we're like man this person just took 20 minutes out of their life to help us out, <laughs> you know, and that's just really cool. Just a stranger, you know, is a really awesome experience. Yeah. But then it started to get to the point where people would be like, well, if we're going someplace tough, what do I really want to take with me? Because sure. <laughs> um, if I can't get my corpse, uh, what do I want to lose? But I do like the idea of corpse run. I mean, like I said, I'm more in favor of the experience than the than the tangible rewards. So I 
I think that's what I'm missing most from a lot of games now. Even World of Warcraft got to be that way where I'm just missing the... So you play World of Warcraft? Oh, yeah, I played a lot of World of Warcraft. That is funny. (laughs) That's kind of bizarre. I remember Sean and I were, like, upset that all of our EverQuest friends were leaving, like, during Gates of Discord or whatever. And I was like, you know, these guys, our friends are leaving us. And that's funny that one of the people who made EverQuest, you know, you appreciate what World of Warcraft is, you know. We usually tried everything, though, because that's in, we're gamers. That was, especially for the first group of people, we were all gamers. So we wanted to try out other games, not just to see what they're doing, but we wanted, if it's going to be good and a good experience, let's do it, especially because we're so familiar with the world of EverQuest that you always know what's around the corner, but in other worlds, you don't. So we would try everything. Um, and World of Warcraft was fun. I mean, the size of their world was great. Um, and I love that. I mean, like, like EverQuest, not exactly the same, but it's so uh, such a large world that you could see things. You can run into races that you wouldn't normally run into sure. for a while. Because I in EverQuest, you could be like, a human and it'd be a while before you're running into a to an ogre or something right and then when you're first it's such a cool experience oh my god other players look at that what the hell is he doing scratching his butt oh <laughs> man um but those were i love the size of the world but of course that game just changes early on there were a lot of people who were playing world of warcraft though even when they were in their um when they did their beta okay there were a lot of developers who were playing it. Um, I remember when we were developing EverQuest 2, that was the big thing. It's like, because um, uh, we had so many people playing uh, World of Warcraft that it's like, are you sure we want to go this route or this route? Or it's like, uh, I don't know. But the, the EverQuest 2 was a, kind of a mess. Too many too many hands in the pot and then just not a it should have been done and completed by the by some original uh everquest devs all the way through because i think one of the problems we had were as you get better as a team rather than disperse the team all over the place let's just keep getting better as a team right and delivering a better experience but slowly your team goes here and there and then it's like all and then when it got to like everquest 2 it's like the higher ups are like uh bring this person in because they they did this and it's like sure. that's not even mmo or that's not <laughs> right. even, do, do they even know what we're making and it's like it doesn't matter bring them in so, so we had a lot of people like that what'd you like about everquest 2 to focus on the the positive what do you think came out of that game that you found was unique or you thought was done really well in it sean and i actually went to everquest 2 we went pretty deep in it we raided and went pretty deep uh, oh my god i love ever well i mean i love the lore obviously but i did it's a different it's kind of hard to say because when it launched it's not what we the original team really wanted it to be when it launched okay was the lore 
even the shattered world was not <laughs> intended but uh that was something we had to deal with also was the lore very similar I, I'll, I'll admit i've never been a lore guy i've always been a let, let's just grind with my friends and like when somebody gives me a quest and they say hand in the things in brackets that's all i read is the things in brackets and i hand them it. and so i never paid oh, too yeah. much attention to the lore the first time around was the lore never quest 2 very similar well it was a continuation really but because i sort of we sort of kept everything in a kind of a big network of where you knew created you created a web and then you just kind of start working in one area and if something you can connect over here to here you can do it but um and that web was slowly growing bigger and bigger so okay um it was a lot more fun to work on i had a lot more control of the lore at that point as well as being called over to other EverQuest projects to help out. Sure. <laughs> um, but it's still the, the whole experience on EverQuest 2 was still kind of messy. Um, there are so many things I can tell you about that. I mean, maybe maybe we can come back on and we'll talk about yes. that again. Yes, yes, please do. Please do. <laughs> um, but I, I altogether, I mean, I like it. I hate that it was chose straight up realism as it's uh as it's look it needed some kind of style that would at least last a little bit longer okay and it, going for really big realism at the time really slowed us down um and then a thing i didn't like that ended up occurring was that some of the dungeons didn't look or have enough familiarity with their counter with their okay ridge i was gonna say counterparts but it is them but yeah like black burrow here is not the same as black burrow and in uh everquest one because i wanted you to come in and say oh my god there's that same thing i remember right. saying there's that there's same tree over here i remember exactly yeah but the problem was that your departments are they are uh, at that point, I think the art department was in charge of a lot. And they were like, when you try and ask them, go in there and, and EverQuest one, yeah. play around in that zone. Not everybody does that. So, or they don't understand it because they're not in the industry. So the MMO industry. So it's, uh, you totally lose all of that. And not even just that, but then there's, you're also worrying about, we understand the MMO game. We need, we're going to be casting spells. There's going to be a group of this, of how many. So you, there's these numbers you have to work with. You know, you need wide hallways and sometimes it wouldn't be built that way. And, but for me, I think the familiarity, I hated that. I really lost that because I wish the art, I'm a really visual person. So yeah. I wanted to see a lot of the things that I saw in their request one. Um, even if you, even if you like dress it up, make it look badass, and add more stuff to it, I still want to be able to find like that one hollowed out tree and right. still fall down if I had. 
and know things as a, and I think it'd be cool as an EverQuest player if you got into a zone like in EverQuest 2, you have you have a heads up a little because it's yeah, like, yeah. I know if I turn down here, I know exactly what's down that hallway. Yeah. Those things weren't there. And I was like, ugh. But things were moving so fast. Um after so, pre-production. So I, I wanna take us to kind of where we are today now. I want to be respectful of both your time. I'd love to have you on again too. But so nowadays I know um so here you are, you're a father. It sounds like your father was a really good uh, mentor to you, allowing you to be very creative. And again, I think it's amazing how you took your creativity, put it out into the world in a package in a way that really affected a lot of people. And also, it's not just that you're creative. You also seem very nice. And unlike most gamers, you're like really fit. And so I don't want to put you on a pedestal here, but what type of now you being a father, what type of advice would you give to, you know, a lot of our listeners who are also parents? Now we've all grown up. How do you, how do you raise a kid to be able to like pursue their dreams and add wonderful things to the world like you did, like your parents allowed you to do? I think what I do with my daughter is I'm way, even more so than my dad, because my dad was not a nerd. He would come in and talk to me about the Los Angeles Dodgers and, Davy Lopes and I'd be like, oh man, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, you know, let's, I would go along with it, but it's like, I wasn't really into that. And I still, I, I get into sports, but I'm still not that person. But if I was, that'd be great. But like with my daughter, if they love something, I want to be a part of that. So, and then I want to introduce some of the things that, I like to them. And if they like them, that's cool. But the generation now is just like, they're incredible gamers. So I think for me, I want to, I'm doing my best to not only introduce her to games because they're going to do that anyways, but to make sure that they are introduced to the other things outside of gaming. And that even includes like board games because Anything with an imagination or books, I'm glad that she's heavily in the books. Um, she's only 10 and she's reading like Sherlock Holmes right now. So it's like, you know, I wouldn't even read Sherlock Holmes at 10. <laughs> but, but she's a, she loves it. And um, I think I definitely go out of your way and, and find things that bring imagination or creativity into their life. Cause I don't think they really get that in school that much anymore. So she's also going to like every Monday, like a school of rock camp yeah. for guitar. She's yeah. loving that, which I love because then I get to talk to her about, Oh, <laughs> guitarists. You want to know about guitarists, <laughs> but thing that we're going to be doing like right after that we do a lot now is, um, is we I play Fortnite because she plays yeah. Fortnite now. Yeah. And like I said, she's only 10, but it's like she kicks my she, I mean, we're on we, we band together, but yeah, she's better. Just as a player, she kicks my ass. It's can she like, build? I've played that game, but I yeah. suck at building. I can't, can and it seems like you have to be able I'm to build. Like, what the hell? I know they're building these towers and hiding in but the towers. It's amazing kids it has to do with the way that they get their they're born now and they get their hands on phones they they're looking at everything different now because yeah. the way that even she moves in the first person shooters and the way that she builds i mean it's like 
I have to think about it a while. And and yeah. she's just like, she goes crazy. And I'm like, I'm like, what are you, what's going on here? I was playing Battlefield 1942. I was playing Doom. You have no idea. I should be winning this game. But I'm she's always she's always coming over and rescuing me, but at least we're playing together, so it's cool. Does she um, understand that you are a part of oh, what why MMOs are today, that you are a big part of the gaming industry, or are you just dad? She doesn't that much. She sees like some of the awards and things and memorabilia I got around, but she doesn't really understand it because she's not into MMOs. I suppose if we were playing something that was an MMO, maybe, and that's what I want to introduce to her next, just to, but. I fear for that because I don't want it to suck her life away because sure. we're talking about it. Honestly, we're talking about levels here. Once they yeah. start caring about levels, because they even care about levels in, I mean, in Fortnite, they're like, Oh man, I got the battle pass. I got to get it to the next level. Yeah. And I'm like, and she'll play a little bit longer sometimes. And when you, even when you play something like a world of Warcraft, you're going to be there a long time. If you want to get to another level. So I don't know. I, what I am getting her into, which I finally talked her into, is D and D. So nice. I'm going to try and create a small. I explained it to her, and she's way into it. But now I got to create a really small, like a test, a, a small little starter adventure. Yeah. Nothing huge. Not even. That's why it can't even be something that I buy. It's got to be something small. Yeah. And then my wife too is going to try it at the same time. So. Amazing. Did you just say buy? You're gonna buy something? You are gonna buy no, a D&D? Not. No, of all the people in the world that we've interviewed, you should be writing <laughs> one for your daughter. No, oh, no, I am. That's what I said. I, but they don't. They, if they bought, if they sold one, that was a small little adventure. Yeah, but I don't think there's the size of adventure I want. I want really small and intimate. You know. Um, because I don't want her, them to be overwhelmed, mostly because my wife's going to try it too. So sure. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine be, a better person. I honestly cannot. Like you, you made D and D come to come to life. You legitimately did that for me, and you kind of described it through something you said during early on in this conversation. But legitimately, that's what you did. When I started playing EverQuest, it was everything I had imagined as a child playing D and D coming to life. You, I think you did that for a lot of people. Like that's pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible. Is that why? Can I ask you that? Do you think EverQuest? I mean, when it came out, do you think that one of its? I I do, but I'm wondering about you, you guys. That one of its successes was that it created that, like that D and D feel, but it it was at a different perspective. Like I'm sure there were other like Meridian Fifty Nine and stuff. But the pers- perspective was a little bit different and the vastness of uh, like you're in an actual world because that's yeah. what I got out of it. And I've been wondering if that's one of the problems with things. I'm fantasy MMOs now amongst their things is they need to, it needs to have some kind of like, there needs to be something new to it that, it, that brings that experience back into it that isn't rewards that isn't levels there's part of that experience some it has to be something new that doesn't exist because i think everquest did did that it was it wasn't 
the sword that I got or the armor that I got, like I was saying, it was like there were things going on in that world, even the corpse run or whatever. It was like things in that world and visually too the, that were giving me an experience. Um, but what were you, what was the thing that captured you most out of the whole thing? Absolutely. The experience that, that you were having was the thing. And I, I think we alluded to a little bit of it earlier, too. And I don't we wouldn't have called it this at the time, but it was uh, my first step into social media and being involved in something that was bigger than myself. Right. It, it to me, people talk about that all the time. People talk about being things that are bigger than them and, and, and you know, being involved in things that are bigger than them. But the game mandated that you did it that way. You, you couldn't be successful without doing it that way. And I, I honestly, I think that's been lost in, in a lot of different ways. Um, and it's funny too, that right now in society, it's so hard for us to communicate it seemingly with other people or people who we deem differently. But again, like this provided a platform at the time, you're talking to people who lived across the country, sometime who lived across the world from you. I mean, that's amazing. That's really amazing when you think about it. It, it really felt like, social media like the like the first breath of social media too in a way yeah yeah the intro to this podcast was actually because we've done podcasts before and sean makes all the musical intros and he said okay the music for this intro i'm not going to do music i'm gonna i want to set people in a feeling of what it's like playing eq for the first time and you're out at night and you die and there's some monster because like <laughs> i think everybody has that story of the first time playing everquest of being like kind of like a little fish in a huge ocean and just like what is going on i can go anywhere and this yeah, the, is the scary. first time night comes and you and you don't have night vision and you're like <laughs> and you're oh, out yeah. in the woods and you're like oh i can't see three feet in front of my face how is this possible yeah is, what's wrong with my graphics all you can do all you can do is creep along the zone the the edge of the zone <laughs> and hope that you don't run into anything so good Okay, so I got to ask this. Uh, it's a kind of a, a little fetish of mine when it comes to EverQuest, and that's uh, the encounter of waking up the sleeper. So as far as I know, uh, there's not been another game that's had an event uh, that happens once and then it cannot reoccur. And it's very unique in that way. And I think it makes uh, Velius a very special expansion. And obviously it creates drama on servers, like who's going to do it? Should they even do it? Can you tell me about the thought process or what that was like coming up with this idea? Mm, I wish I could, but I can't because during, I love Valius and the stuff on there. Um, but that was done after we were, we were, we've had to work on Kunark. I know the guys who did it. I should probably talk to them and see if they'll come on here and talk to you about it. Yes, please. I will, I'll bring it up with them and see because <laughs> they're, they're really great guys. And they were the same thing like I was talking about. These guys who handled Valius, they were like in customer service or testing. And we bring, we, you can see their talent and their love of what, of what they do. And then they came on and they, when they got to Valius, they, they put in some things that I wish I would have thought of, or just would have, I wish I actually could have, I remember going to early meetings about Valius and, and thinking, oh man, I wish I could be a part of this, but we're, we had to go on to EverQuest 2. That's what we were doing. <laughs> okay. But 
I'll talk to some of those guys or they can come on and talk to you about that. I mean, I know some of the answers that would go there, but it'd be a lot better. Their thought process and all that stuff came from them. But I'll see if um, if they'd love to talk to you about that. I'm sure they would. Obviously. At least one of them. Awesome. Thanks. Um, what are you up to uh, these days? Did you stay in the development sector after EverQuest 2? Um, is there is there anything you want to plug, whether it's yours or even a friend's thing that's uh, going on in your life um, now? I mean, not right now. I'm pretty... Uh, <laughs> I mean... I'm still open to doing freelance stuff because I was doing freelance stuff where I was making backgrounds for uh, last thing I did was backgrounds for a toy company and uh, me and uh, another EQ vet, um, Mac McGibbon, he, uh, we both helped the toy company uh, make a web comic and then also uh, backgrounds for their characters because they just created the characters. And then we had other projects we were going to work on, but we never, life just isn't that it, when you have a family, you have to go out and actually get things where you're not paying, where you're not trying to pay the health insurance all by yourself. Cause that gets too expensive. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I know that, but we're, st- I'm still working on things on the side. I'm actually talking to some people about um, a project they want done, but I can't say anything about okay. it. <laughs> I, I signed an NDA. I signed an NDA about it, so I, I can't really talk about it. Um, but it's mostly freelance stuff. But that franchise, that that's a huge franchise that you would know. But can't talk. I don't know what'll come of that because things are so weird after last year. Um, but now that, um, like, I'm, like, I'm sad that my dad passed on, but he had a lot of success in life that he's made things easier for me now. That kind of opens up way more free time. Sure. So now I've been talking to some guys, too, where I want to get some things done that I want to get back into it because I missed it. And I have writer friends that I work with, um, you know, when Pantheon first started, you know what Pantheon is, right? Yeah. I was, it was me, Brad, and some original people that started the whole thing. Um, but some of the people that I had working with me went on to become really awesome. They're awesome writers and they're doing books for like, one of them's doing books, a whole series of books for like uh, Amazon. Yeah, she's like, you got to do something like this. You're good at creating worlds. And I'm like, so I've been writing something like that. I want to actually try and do that. But uh, I definitely like down the road, especially if you guys, I can probably try and get some of these people on to talk about their experiences. But I definitely want to talk, see if I can get uh, somebody for you to talk about Thalias. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. But most definitely, if you guys ever want to talk about something again, I'll, uh, I'm sure I know people or whatever. I mean, I can. I think it's good for people to remember awesome things about gaming. You know or what? I'm if excited. You guys ever just talk about cool ass music, you know, whatever. 
you know what I'm excited <laughs> for that I want to see come out and talk about is whether it's a new version of EQ or Dungeons and Dragons is I want to see some VR space open up because my son's got this Oculus now and I've tried this thing on. Oh, I know. And I'm like, oh, I want to crawl through a dungeon, right? With know, the man. Oculus, right? I think about it. I think about that and it sounds really cool. But then I think about all the times that I tried playing games like the parkour and like uh, Dying Light or any or Mirror's Edge or something and just getting sick. <laughs> I, I can just see myself doing VR and getting sick. <laughs> I just, well, I'd have to take Dramamine before I tried it. But yeah, I do want to, I've been thinking about getting something like that. I have a friend who, who plays, uh, he used to do, uh, He's a great guy. He used to do uh, social media and help out with uh, Star Citizen. Yeah. He has this full setup. Like he has as much, he's single, obviously, and he's a lawyer. So he can, nobody tells him to do it with his money. So (laughs) he spends it all on this huge VR setup. And he just, I've been, he lives in Texas. So I've been meaning, I got to go visit him just to see what this thing's like. Cause he's, he went, balls out on just uh, the whole VR experience. Amazing. So I want, that's something I want to get into, but I want to try it more than, you know, invest right. in it right now. Sure. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, this was awesome having you on. So, so awesome. Again, you've had a huge impact on, on Sean and I and a bunch of our listeners. And I just love hearing about the, the story of you coming up and and how you turned into this person who's put this wonderful thing in the world. And thank you for coming on and talking to us about this. And yes, I would, we'll have you on anytime and we'll have anybody you can bring on anytime. Oh, just open door. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Tony, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time and, and making this happen. Um, it was a big get for us to have you today. And I know everybody that's going to listen to the show is going to really, really, really freak out that, that your voice is coming across and telling the stories that you're telling. It's, it's really, really cool that you came on. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And I appreciate everything you guys do too. I, I'm glad we met. So let's continue the relationship. Yeah, let's do it, man. <laughs> and then awesome. before we go, though, you guys promised me that you would tell me what your, your favorite 80s metal tunes were. Okay. All right. Mine's easy. I, to me, I just lately, uh, I can listen to the album Hysteria over and over and over. And if I had to say the best songs on the album, um, I think Love Bites is my favorite, actually. I know it's like the slower one, but I just love that song so much. And there's a guy in Such our Discord. <laughs> there's a guy in our Discord named Loves Bite, Love Bites. And I'm like, I love that song. And he's like, no, it's like a hardcore metal band. What, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh, I'm talking about the Def Leppard version. But I also love... Uh, Rocket, uh, Love Hysteria, Pour Some Sugar on Me. All those songs are just so absolutely wonderful. Um, so that's it for me. I suggest everybody go out and turn it up to freaking 10 and let your ears bleed a little bit. Listen to that album. Oh, yeah. He's been working with Mr. Brownstone. That's, no. for, yeah, that's, that's for me. I, that was it for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't, uh, I couldn't take any more of it. No, I, I was a big, GNR fan, a big Metallica fan. Um, I got to see uh, Faith No More open for GNR and Metallica. That was probably one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Um, oh wow! Yeah. yeah, Metallica influenced me quite a bit uh, at that age in high school age, my around that time in the eighties. Yeah. There, I've only seen them when they did in the round, and it was a uh, it was an awesome show. In the round with probably the snake pit in the middle, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I remember that. And uh, but yeah, I think I still for me like I didn't I didn't mention it, but you know my favorite '80s tune that brings me up even whenever I'm down is by a band most people probably hate or whatever, but it's um, uh, it's a band called Autograph and it's a song called Turn Up the Radio. And if you haven't heard it, go hear it. I right. love that song. That's awesome. I'm going to go listen greatest, to it. Uh, great, one of the great uh, um, guitarists, too. Okay. And do you work oh, out yeah, a out. lot? Uh, so everybody, by the way, go to Instagram, follow Irontoe86, right? Do I have that right? Oh, yeah, that's me. Irontoe86. You'll see uh, Tony working out green, a lot. What do you listen uh, Green Scarab Armor. <laughs> what do you, what, what's your best song to listen to for, I mean, your best album? Workouts. Is, is it a song or is it a playlist you listen to? Oh, you know, it's like any song from a Rocky four movie. Come on. <laughs> um, That's amazing. Love that. A lot of ACDC. ACDC is good to work out to. Oh yeah. And actually Rocky four has a lot of uh, good songs. The whole so. thing is a big music video. I Take it higher. Uh, remember when he's like oh, cutting yeah. down the Survivor. trees in Siberia and yeah. oh yeah oh wow. we're going here. deep we're going deep yeah all right awesome 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 <laughs> thank awesome. you Tony thank, thank you. you so much and we'll be in touch let's do it again man all right let's do it all right bye bye Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to hear more from Purple Elf Productions, check out Valheim Podcast, where Jeff and Sean explore the beautiful world of Valheim, a new survival game which is hailed as Minecraft meets Dungeons and Dragons. Journey with Jeff and Sean as they try to survive the harsh elements, bloodthirsty monsters, and deadly campfires.